Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi al-lazhin ustafa. Khususan ala sayyidi al-rusuli wa khatami al-anbiya. Wa ala alihi al-azkiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya. Amma ba'd. Today we wanted to turn to the story of one of the great Sahaba of Rasulullah who holds great honor and merit in our tradition and history. He is from the Ten Promised Paradise, one of these six companions who was appointed by Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab to be a part of the Shura Committee of electing and selecting the next Khalifa. He was one of the few companions who was by the side of Rasulullah during the Battle of Uhud when the battle took a turn. Talha bin Ubaidullah radiallahu ta'ala an At-Taymi. At-Taymi tells us that he was from the same tribe of Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq who was also At-Taymi. The story of Talha accepting Islam is quite a beautiful one. He narrates a story himself that one day I was with a group of the Quraysh and we had set off to Busra a city in Sham for um, some trade. And there was this rabbi who, a priest rabbi that was calling out from his window, Ya Ma'ashara Tujjar, oh business people, is there anyone from you from the Haram? So he says that I was close to him, so I rushed to the man and said, yes, I'm from the Haram. I'm from Mecca. So then he asked him that, has the Prophet emerged among you? So he was puzzled. He said, which Prophet? He said, Ahmed. Which Ahmed is this? So he said, the son of Abdullah, the son of Abdul Muttalib. The time has come for him to emerge. The Prophet's time has come. He is a final Prophet. And then he described Rasulullah wasallam and also the place where Rasulullah would migrate to Medina Munawwara. He had a description. At the end of their conversation, 
this rahib said to Talha bin Ubaidullah radiallahu an, فَإِيَّاكَ أَن تُسْبَقَ إِلَيْهِ يَا فَتَى Don't let anyone beat you to him, rush. Be one of the early ones to meet him. Talha radiallahu an, he says that when that man spoke, there was something about what he said and the way he spoke that it impacted my heart. And I was no longer interested in trade and I didn't want to be with the caravan anymore. I mounted my animal and just rushed back to Makkah When I arrived in Mecca, I asked my family members, has anything changed since I left? They said, yes. While you were gone, Muhammad bin Abdullah uh, professed his uh, nubuwa. He is a Nabi, he claims to be a prophet. And Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an is one of his followers. At that time, outside of the family of the Prophet not too many people had accepted Islam. This was right in the early hours of it. Talha radiallahu an, he knew Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an. And Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an was known for his nobility, his kindness, his knowledge of the Arabs. So he rushed to Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an and asked him, is it true that Muhammad has claimed prophethood and you are his follower? Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an confirmed both of his statements. And then he asked him, why are you asking? So he said, well, I was in Busra for some trade and this interaction occurred and this rahib told me that the final prophet's time has arrived. Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an was so amazed by this, that on one side this actually happened and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put this reality in the heart of a righteous man in another part of the world. And it's fascinating how that happens. That there are realities that occur in one part of the world and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts it in the hearts of others. Far away, or in a different time, that before it happens, these mubashirat occur, that Allah puts ilham and glad tidings in the hearts of others. One of my good friends and colleagues, um, Sheikh Uwais, he was sharing with me, that before the um, incident of um, October 7th, in the weeks leading up to that, there were so many people in Gaza, among the ulama and also the awam nas who started seeing dreams weeks leading up to it that they were all in Jannah. He said it became mutawatir, like everyone knew it. He has so many colleagues and he was, he was sharing with me messages that look, this person sent me a message, and this person sent a message, and that person sent a message. That before anything even happened, they were seeing dreams and they were all puzzled. That what's going on? Why is everyone seeing the same dream that uh, we are dwelling in the gardens of Jannah? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives glad tidings to those people who need it earlier in life so they can pull through the difficulty that lay ahead of them. Because going through the difficulty isn't easy. But when there's a message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and there is some comfort, the path becomes just that much easier. So then he takes Talha radiallahu an to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Talha radiallahu an is still a young man, and they meet the Prophet of Allah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam presents Islam to him, and he begins to give him glad tidings that khair awaits you, Talha. Great things will happen with you. Talha radiallahu an says that I shared the story with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam what happened in Busra. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was so happy he began to smile. 
those glad tidings. Talha radiallahu an extended his hand to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and enjoyed the most powerful moment of his life reading the shahada with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Once he became Muslim, he couldn't hold it back. He told everyone. How could he hold it back? When someone has something so special, when something, someone has something so dear, there is no secret to it. Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali rahimahullah ta'ala while discussing the impact of dhikr on a person. He says that in the early stages of dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the student spends their time fighting off thoughts that distract them from the essence of their dhikr. That's the first part of dhikr. That they keep fighting, they sit down to do dhikr and distractions, and then they fight again, and then they get distracted again, and they go against it, and then they get distracted, and they go against it. And this in itself takes a long time. However, Imam Ghazali writes that, for the one that is blessed with mudawama, for the special guest and friend of Allah that is blessed with consistency, with time and hard work, they will overcome those distractions. And then what will happen is, the dhikr of Allah will become their companion. They will develop unsiyah with the dhikr of Allah, companionship, friendship with the dhikr of Allah. When a person reaches that stage, now their heart finds content. Their heart finds peace. And they more, the more they dedicate themselves to the dhikr of Allah in this stage, slowly, slowly the mahabba of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens to them. And the more they balance a mixture of doing dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a focus on the sifat, and then a dhikr of Allah that focuses on the that, both of these things together then lead a person to the mahabba of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And once you reach there, then you no longer need someone to tell you to do dhikr, your heart yearns for it, and there's no life that you want other than that. Your rest, the rest of your life is just spent in the dhikr of Allah Because then all the difficulties and all the barriers that are between you and Allah in the dunya melt away. Until that doesn't happen, each barrier becomes a very big wall that you have to bust through to make your way even a little bit forward. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes all of it. And then when a person's on their deathbed, man ahabba shay'in akthara dhikrahu, Allah azawajal blesses them with the ultimate honor. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Man kana akhiru kalamihi la ilaha illallah dakhara jannah. Talha bin Ubaidullah radiallahu anhu narrates a hadith. It's a beautiful one. He says to, the, he says to his companions that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught me to say a statement that if a person dies on that statement, they will be successful. And Umar radiallahu anh said to him, I know what that statement is. So he said to Umar, what is it? He said, the Prophet sallallahu taught us to say, La ilaha illallah. That whoever dies on that statement that my uncle Abu Talib rejected, whoever dies on the statement that my uncle Abu Talib rejected, will, be, will, see, will, will achieve salvation. That person will achieve salvation. And then a person that dies on La ilaha illallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then makes everything after that easy because the ultimate reality of life is that it all comes to an end 
And regardless of your religion, your ethnicity, your education, your wealth, each and every one of these bodies will be lowered six feet into the ground. Our skin one day will make contact with that cold soil and like a sheet, the soil will be poured on us in nothing but darkness. And all of your wealth and family will all be left behind. People will probably remember us and our achievements for a month, two months. If you're lucky, a few, two, three people will remember you for a little longer than that. And then your mention gases out into nothingness and there you disappear again, like everyone else. So all that remains when you're lying there in your grave alone is that remembrance of Allah. That's all that remains. Nothing else remains. It all disappears. Like we would tell a person who's about to trek through a desert that, buddy, don't forget your water, you need that. Someone who's going out camping, buddy, don't forget that tent, you're definitely going to need that tent. You can't pull this off without it. The dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the essence of it all. That why are we even establishing salah? It's for the remembrance of Allah. That's all it is. This last uh, week we had off at the seminary for Thanksgiving break, fall break. And I was traveling to Colorado. And when I was in Denver, Colorado, I met this young man. He shared this fascinating story with me. I was eating and um, he came and sat next to me. He introduced himself uh, as Zach. And, I, and then he also said, my, my people call me Zach, but my actual birth name is Izza. It's a beautiful name, Palestini. So he told me that, he said, you know, my father was a righteous man. He was a very pious person. And we are a Palestinian family. We live in Colorado. But in 2020, my father passed away. And out of all places in the world, he passed away in Karachi. I was thinking, what? How did your father end up in Pakistan, Karachi? What's he doing there? So he said to me, my father was a da'i of Islam. He just loved giving da'wah. So Allah put it in his heart to go to Pakistan for da'wah. So this Palestinian American guy got on a plane and went to Pakistan in Lahore, Islamabad. He's giving da'wah to people. And then he boards a flight to Karachi in May 2020, and as the flight is about to touch down in the Karachi airport, there is some failure in the landing gear, so the pilot takes off again. And then he comes around a second time for the landing, and he loses control of the plane, and he crashes the plane into residential homes, and all passengers died. Flight 8303, those of you who remember, it was a very sad story. So he said, my father was on that plane. He was one of the shuhada. We were in America and we quickly rushed back. We rushed to Pakistan for the first time in our lives to recover his body. And because the bodies were, um, you can imagine, almost incinerated, there was little to detect who was who. People were struggling to claim the bodies of their relatives. There was a person whose family member had a root canal done. 
they fall back onto dental records. He had a root canal done, so they said that oh, our relative had root canal done, this is our relative. But they were, they, they were a little puzzled because there was one aspect of the body that didn't really match the personality of their relative that died. In reality, that body, he said, belonged to my father, who also had a root canal done. For all the passengers whose bodies were recovered, they took DNA samples and it was later on confirmed when we arrived, when we compared the DNA, that yes, it was our father. They said that out of all the passengers that were on that plane, who died in that flight that crashed in Karachi. He was the only one that when they came to his body, he was like this. He had his finger of Shahada. That was my father. His finger was up like this. You begin to think to yourself that in those moments as that flight is coming down and it's about to crash and everyone's terrified and possibly jumping to the person next to them and hugging their beloved ones and maybe grabbing their head and worried that they're going to die. There's this wali of Allah sitting on that plane who probably has been waiting for this moment his entire life that it's time to leave the dunya. Man Allah, He was never deluded by the false promises of the dunya for one single moment. And now that death approaches possibly with a lahumul bushra fil hayat dunya fil akhirah with glad tidings awaiting, with his finger pointing up, he's doing his shahada, and he meets his final moments. Talha bin Ubaidullah radiallahu anhu, when he accepts Islam, he can't hold it back. Man ahabba shay'an akthara dhikrahu. How does a person hide something that they are so convinced of? And he's met Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, spent his life in the nearby vicinity of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and now he accepts Islam at the hands of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Him publicly proclaim, proclaiming his Islam made life very difficult because the Quraysh went after him. And not only did the Quraysh go after him, uh, his tribe came after him, and in one narration, they actually tied him and Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an together while torturing them. And it was for this reason that the two of them together, لِذَلِكَ دُعِيَ طَلْحَةُ بْنُ عُبَيْدِ اللَّهُ وَأَبُو بَكْرِ الصِّدِّيقِ بِالْقَرِينَيْنِ It was for this reason that they were given the title Qarinain because when they were tortured, in the earlier days, even when Banu Taym came against Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an, they paired both of them together in their torture. And his mother actually took lead in his torture. One Sahabi says, that I saw a young man being tortured. بَيْنَمَا كُنْتُ أَسْعَى بَيْنَ الصَّفَى وَالْمَرْوَةِ إِذَا أُنَاسٌ كَثِيرٌ يَتْبَعُونَ فتى. I saw a group of people who were following this young man. أُثِقَتْ يَدَاهُ إِلَىٰ عُنُقِهِ They had tied him up. وَهُمْ يُهَرْوِلُونَ وَرَأَهُ They were chasing him, running after him. And as he ran forward, يَدْفَعُونَهُ فِي ظَهْرِهِ They would push him, he would fall down. يَذْرِبُونَهُ عَلَىٰ رَأْسِهِ Striking him across the body. وَخَلْفَهُ إِمْرَأَةٌ عَجُوزٌ تَسُبُّهُ وَتَصِيحُ Behind him was an old lady who would shout at him and swear at him. So I asked them, what's going on here? So they said, this is Talha bin Ubaidillah, صَبَعَ عَنْ دِينِهِ who's left his religion, وَتَبِعَ غُلَامَ بَنِ هَاشِمْ and is now a follower of Islam. And he said, who's this old lady following him? قَالُوا هِيَ صَعْبَ بِنْتِ الْحَذْرَمِي 
Umm al-Fatah. This is his mother. And imagine how difficult that was for him, that not only was he being tortured, and not only was he tested for his deen, but his test came at the hands of his own mother. Talha bin Ubaidullah stood by the side of Rasulullah Nothing could split him from the Prophet of Allah. Nothing could. He was with Nabi every single step of the way, and was with the Prophet in all battles, except for Badr. When the Prophet and Sahaba set out for Badr, he was at that time on a business trip in Sham and wasn't able to join. And he was really upset and sad over this. And Rasulullah recognized and knew him, what kind of person he was, and how he would have no other way but to stand by the side of Rasulullah. So after the battle was over, the Prophet gave him a portion in the Ghanima as well. That it's as if you were by our side. It's as if you fought with us. The Prophet ﷺ gave Talha an some very beautiful honorary titles. One of the names that he was known by was Ash-Shaheed Al-Hay. Sounds like an oxymoron. The Prophet gave him that name. Ash-Shaheed Al-Hay. And the Prophet ﷺ also called him Talhatul Khair. In another place, Talhatul Jood. In another place, Talhatul Fayyad. The Prophet calls him Talha, the man of goodness, the man of generosity. Talha, the Shaheed who is alive. How did he gain the name, the Shaheed that is alive? To understand this, you have to go back to the Battle of Uhud. The Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba fought against the Quraysh. On the way to Uhud, 300 munafiqoon betrayed the Muslims by walking out. They knew they were going to walk out. They could have not just come all together. But they used to do the more... There's a word coming to my mouth, but I can't say it out loud. The more inappropriate thing. The more demoralizing thing. They wanted to really hurt the Muslims. They wanted to hurt... The Prophet ﷺ, so they walked out. The Prophet ﷺ wasn't affected by this, and rather, it was a blessing, because you don't need a lot of people to do khair, you need the right people with you to do that khair. Do you guys understand that? You don't need a lot of people to do khair. You just need the right people with you by your side, and watch how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you that khair. You know, when I was in Denver uh, this last week, during one of the lectures, one sister, she asked a question. She said, it was a very good question. She said, Sheikh, you know, um, when we go to uh, protest uh, in, our, in, in Denver or in country, communities across America, one of the big challenges that we face is that we aren't, uh, we feel uncomfortable doing the dhikr of Allah in those protests because there are a lot of non-Muslims there. So I said to that sister, it's fascinating that you say that because I've been observing this for two months straight. I noticed a very big difference between the protests of the Muslim lands and those in the Western countries. In Western countries, four hours straight of protest without any dhikr of Allah. You go to the Muslim countries, those very same protests every other minute, takbir Allahu Akbar. Takbir Allahu Akbar. Takbir Allahu Akbar. There's a difference between the way we do things as Muslims. We don't just look for solutions, we want solutions with Allah. We don't want victory, we don't, we don't want a big house, we don't want success in our work, in our life, we don't want big families. 
without Allah. If we have a little with Allah, we are content with that. A Muslim actually is content with being in a state of dhulm while being able to do dua to Allah, rather than being in a state of no difficulty or calamity in life without any remembrance of Allah at all. Ibn Taymiyyah said on that very same note, I prefer a calamity that brings me closer to Allah over a blessing that draws me away from Allah. It's that very same concept. Because ahwal are coincidental. They're a matter of qada. Coincidental meaning they're out of our control. It's by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the dhikr of Allah and being, remembered of Allah, being in the remembrance of Allah, that is in my control. And that's what makes the Muslims everything a little different. What makes the Muslims' business a little different is that dhikr. What makes their education a little different is that dhikr. You know what makes the difference between you sleeping at night and the neighbor next to you who's literally sleeping maybe 20, 30 feet away? What makes the difference between your bed and his bed? What makes the difference between the two of you is that before the Muslim sleeps, after embracing their spouse and their children, as they close their eyes, they say, Allahumma bismika umutu ahaya. So then nur comes into that home and that life. There's life, مَثَرُ بَيْتٍ يُذْكَرُ فِي أَوْ كَمَا قَالَ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةِ The Prophet ﷺ said, like the example of the home in which Allah is remembered, and like the one that Allah is not remembered, كَالْبَيْتِ الْخَرِمْ is like an abandoned home. It's like a house where nobody lives. That's the example of a home where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mention isn't there. Sayyidina Talha bin Ubaidullah radiallahu anhu, in the battle of Uhud, he was ready. And so, they were marching with the Prophet ﷺ. The munafiqun drifted away. Allah gave them the few that actually mattered and got rid of the scum. And as they moved forward, when they arrived in the battlefield, the Prophet ﷺ laid out the strategy. In the earlier part of the battle, the Muslims had victory. But due to a few missteps on behalf of some of the companions, the battle took a turn. They abandoned their post. The Quraysh, when they were able to swing the battle around in their favor, they attacked the Muslims from an angle that the Muslims were not prepared and they kind of sandwiched them. It caused great loss to the Muslims. They were eagerly searching for the Prophet ﷺ in the battlefield because they wanted to harm the Prophet ﷺ. Finally, they were able to see the Prophet ﷺ and their soldiers began to rush. At that time, the Prophet ﷺ had 11 Ansari companions right next to him and one Muhajir companion, Talha bin Ubaidullah. The Prophet ﷺ, in that moment, he turned to the companions and he said, Man lil qawm, who will stand in front of these soldiers as they rush us? فَقَالَ Talha, أَنَا يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ O Messenger of Allah, I'm ready to take on all of them. Hundreds of them let them come, I'll take these guys on. Nabi Sallallahu said, Kama ant, stay in your place. One of the 11 Ansari companions said, O Messenger of Allah, I'm ready. The Prophet said, Anta, go. Faqatala hatta qutila. He fought until he was martyred. Then the Prophet said, Who's next? And another, Talha said, Me. The Prophet said, Hold up. Who else? Another Muhajir got up. Another Ansari got up. You go. He fought until he was martyred. And like this, فَقَاتَلَ حَتَّى قُتِلْ فَلَمْ يَزَلْ كَذَلِكَ حَتَّى بَقِيَ مَعَ نَبِيِّ اللَّهِ طَلْحَ Now the only person left with the Prophet ﷺ was Talha. These soldiers are rushing towards the Prophet ﷺ. And 
and the Quraysh were bloodthirsty. And now it's the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Talha radiallahu an. And then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam turns to Talha and says, Man lil qawm. Who's going to face them? فَقَالَ طَلْحَ أَنَا يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهُ وَمَسَنَّ رَبَ اللَّهُ Give me permission, I'll show these people. فَقَاتَلَ طَلْحَةُ قِتَالَ أَحَدَ عَشَرَ طَلْحَ رَبِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْ didn't fight the battle of one, he fought the battle of eleven himself. And he fought so ferociously, with such energy, he kept pushing forward and kept pushing forward. They injured his arm. His arm actually, he lost all sense and all feeling in his arm. From that day onwards, one of his arms would just hang by his side. His fingers were cut that day. Talha radiallahu an, when the enemy started firing arrows, he turned his face to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and presented his back towards the enemy and they were firing arrows in his back after the battle. They say we saw over 70 wounds on his back. 70. I mean, if someone were to ask him that, how did you bear all that pain? It's possible he would say that I just had my eyes locked, locked on the prize. I was looking at the Prophet ﷺ. So all the pain that I endured in my back, it was what it was. Right? Nabi ﷺ taught these people to think high and think great. Yesterday I was just reading some poetry of Alam Iqbal. And in one of his lines, he says, O oh Falcon, stop settling on the domes of royal palaces. O oh Falcon, stop settling on the domes. You know, if you ever go to these palaces on the domes, they have birds sitting everywhere. He says, stop settling there. Your abode is actually the peaks of the mountains. Stop aiming low. Growth mindset. There are greater things that you can do, farther places you can go. There are elevations for you that others cannot reach. You can go there. Go. That's your destiny. Talha radiallahu anhu is facing Rasulullah What a whole nation, a whole army is trying to accomplish, he stops them because he has that blood. In one poem, one line, Iqbal says that the one message that is constant through history, the one message that is constant through history, that every nation has passed down one generation to the next, is that the, one, that, that the human being, once, once the human being has strength, nothing can stop the human. For good or for bad. But once the human being finds their strength, they're unstoppable. The insan is nothing but potential. The insan is nothing but motivation and energy. You just need someone to go to that person and tap that energy into play. That you're ready to go, buddy. Let's go. You're in now. Wake up. Don't spend your life sleeping. Don't spend your life, you know, watching TV and video games and get out of this coma of sports. Allah created you for greater things. Live your life for what Allah created you. It takes time, but if you put the right effort and energy in, the insan wakes up. And it's like they go into like Super Saiyan mode, where like they're unstoppable at this point. And he's just standing there with Rasulullah in front of them while they're just firing those arrows. And over 70 wounds can be found in the back of Talha radiallahu anh, and he stands strong.
Talha radiallahu an was known for his, um, for his sacrifice. And it was at that point that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to him, that he said to the companions, مَنْ سَرَّهُ أَنْ يَنْظُرَ إِلَىٰ رَجُلٍ يَمْشِي عَلَى الْأَرْضِ قَدًا قَضَىٰ نَحْبَهُ فَلْيَنْظُرْ إِلَىٰ طَلْحَ Whoever wishes to see a person walking on the face of this earth that has already fulfilled his purpose in life, has already fulfilled anything this dunya has to offer, he, he, he's already done it all, then go and look at Talha. The Prophet ﷺ, um, one day he was sitting with the companions. This narration is narrated by uh, two Sahabis. Actually, um, the two sons of Talha radiallahu an, whose names are Musa and Isa. عن موسى وعيسى ابني طلحة عن أبيهما أن أصحاب رسول الله قالوا لأعرابي جاء يسأله عمن قضى نحبه The companions generally wouldn't ask questions directly to Rasulullah out of haiba, respect, consideration for the Prophet of Allah they would wait for better ones to come and then push them forward with the questions so one time a better one came and they said to him Go and ask the Prophet regarding the tafsir of مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ رِجَالٌ صَدَقُوا مَا عَهَدُ اللَّهَ عَلَيْهِ فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ قَضَى نَحْبَهُ وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَنْتَظِرُ وَمَا بَدَّلُوا التَّبْدِيلَ That from the believers are those that have, have been true to their commitment to God. And they've already accomplished their goal and then there are those that are waiting in, for their result, for their, for their reward. Go and ask the Prophet of Allah, who is this ayah referring to مَنْ قَضَى نَحْبَهُ so the better one came and he asked the Prophet didn't respond. The better one asked again, that ayah nahbahu, who is it talking about? Nabi turned away. Talha radiallahu an says, and it was in that moment that I entered into the masjid wearing green garments. فَلَمَّا رَآنِي رَسُولُ اللَّهُ When the Prophet of Allah saw me, he said, أَيْنَ السَّائِلُوا عَمَّنْ قَضَى نَحْبَهُ Where is the question? Where is the questioner gone? That was asking about that ayah. قَالَ الْأَعْرَابِيُّ أَنَا The Bedouin said, I'm here. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, هَذَا مِمَّنْ قَضَى نَحْبَهُ He is one of those people that the ayah is speaking about. One time, Sayyidina Rasulullah was on the mountain of Hira. Which mountain was it? Hira. And Rasulullah kana ala Hira. Huwa wa Abu Bakr wa Umar wa Uthman wa Ali wa Talha wa Zubair large group of companions, they were all with Rasulullah and they were on the mountain of Hira. This hadith is narrated by Imam Muslim from Abu Huraira There was this boulder that began to shake. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ اللَّهِ turned to the boulder and said, Stop it. Stop. فَمَا عَلَيْكَ إِلَّا نَبِيٍّ أَوْ صِدِّيقٍ أَوْ شَهِيدٍ Because you only have three types of people standing on you at this moment. A prophet, a siddiq, and the rest of these guys are shuhada. The rest of them are all going to be shaheed. And standing in that group of people was Sayyidina Talha bin Zubair radiallahu anhu. 
One time Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to him that Talha and Zubair will be my neighbors in Jannah. And you know who narrates this hadith? This hadith of Talha was Zubair jaraya fil Jannah is narrated by Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu And what makes that so fascinating is that Ali radiallahu actually narrated this hadith during the battle of the Jamal when Zubair and Talha came along with Aisha radiallahu anha in his opposition. He looked at his opposition and said, Oh, what are you guys doing? سَمِعْتُ عَلِيًّا يَوْمَ الْجَمَلِ يَقُولُ that I heard from the Prophet of Allah saying, that he narrates, that I heard from the Prophet of Allah saying, Talha was Zubair jaraya fil Jannah. Talha radiallahu an, he has a, one or two interesting incidents I'll share with you, then we'll wrap up. Talha radiallahu an narrates an incident that one time he saw a dream. Actually, before the dream, he narrates the context of the dream. نَزَلَ رَجُلَانِ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْيَمَنِ عَلَىٰ طَلْحَ بِنْ عُبَيْدِ اللَّهِ That two people from Yemen, they arrived in Medina and they, they, they lived with Talha رضي الله عنه. فَقُتِلْ أَحَدُهُمَا مَعَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ One of them died in the battlefield. ثُمَّ مَا كَثَ الْآخِرُ بَعْدَهُ سَنَةً And the other one lived one year. He lived for a whole another year. ثُمَّ مَاتَ عَلَىٰ فِرَاشِهِ And the second man then died at home. In, he died at home. فَأُرِيَ طَلْحَةُ بْنُ عُبَيْدِ اللَّهِ طَلْحَ بْنُ عُبَيْدِ اللَّهِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْ صَادْرِينَ أَنَّ الَّذِي مَاتَ عَلَىٰ فِرَاشِهِ دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةَ قَابْلَ الْآخَرِ بِحِينَ He saw in his dream that the second person who died on his bed entered into paradise before the martyr. فَذَكَرَ ذَلِكَ طَلْحَةُ لِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ He was puzzled that how can someone be a shaheed to Jannah? So he went to the Prophet you tell me how long did that second person live after the martyr left his dunya? He lived another year. That he prayed for a whole year. He fasted for a whole year. Like he did one whole Ramadan, fasted for a whole year. He had one more year of ibadah, and all of that put together is what took him to Jannah before his companion. Talha radiallahu anhu was also. Uh, pretty much involved with tijara, he earned um, quite some success there. One time, أَنَّ أَتَاهُ مَالٌ مِنْ حَذْرَ مَوْتِ سَبْعُمِئَةِ أَلْفِ 700,000 units of wealth came into his possession from Hadramaut from Yemen. فَبَاتَ لَيْلَتَهُ يَتَمَلْمَلُ He just earned 700,000. When you earn 700,000, how do you sleep that night, guys? If you made 700,000 in one day, no, you guys are all broke people. You guys probably make like $10 a day. All these Qalam students sitting here. How do you sleep that night? You sleep with a nice ribeye in your belly. That's how you sleep that night. You sleep after having a nice foot massage. That night you sleep with a chumpy like a malish. Someone really comes and takes care of you and then you sleep with no pain at all. Talha radiallahu had a profit of 700,000 and he couldn't sleep all night. So his wife said to him, what happened? So he said, there's a safar on my mind 
since last night that I can't shake off. So she said, so he said to her that I'm just worried that what if my Rabb says to me that how did you spend the night with so much money in your home? What if Allah says that to me? That you had all that money? You know, when I was in Denver, this last week, I met a guy. He was an old man. Very old brother. Involved with tabligh da'wah work. So he said, we, we, he invited me over to his house for dinner. We went to his house, had a little meal together. So while we were just talking, he said to me, he said, Sheikh, you know, I've been driving the same old Camry Corolla, one of those two, for so many years. And he's a, mashallah, successful person. He has like uh, from six stores in Denver. They, they, do, they do rugs, they sell rugs, and they, they fix rugs and this kind of stuff. He said, Alhamdulillah, Allah has given me a lot. So everyone says to me in the community, why don't you get a new car? So he said, I asked myself this question, why don't I get a new car? And I have a choice, either I can get a new car, or I can just drive the same car, which is gonna do the same thing that the new car would do, and in return, build an orphanage and a madrasa. I chose the second. Alhamdulillah, today I have a madrasa in Pakistan with 150 students in it, and five of them just became hafid of the Qur'an. Wow. This guy understood it. He got the message. He understood it. There's no point running from car to car. This is all just shaitan messing with our heads. He said, forget that, man. There are orphans out there who are struggling to live. They're crying every night because mom and dad isn't by their side. You know what he told me? He said, every child that comes in the madrasa, I give them two pairs of clothes. That's how much I can afford to give them. They were dojore. They were one, they washed the second one, where the second one washed the first one. And like that, that's how they live. And my life was just taking care of those kids. And you know what he was boasting about? He said, Sheikh, you know what I did with this, this year's earnings? I said, what did you do? He said, SubhanAllah. He said, Sheikh, this year's earnings, I just installed solar power for the children. This is what people do for their small little mick palaces that we have in America. Everyone's trying to live their big life. He said, I just installed solar power for those children. They won't have the, the, the electricity ever go out again, inshallah. They're always going to have light with them. They're studying the Quran, their matters, their affairs are taken care of. So he said, how am I going to face Allah with all this wealth? So his wife then said to him, okay, why don't you just distribute it then? So then he says to her that innaki muwaffaqa bint muwaffaqa that you are one that is you know endowed with perspective by Allah the daughter of someone who was also given that very same tawfiq by Allah she was Umm Kulthum bint al-Siddiq Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu's daughter she said give it all away then so the next morning he woke up falamma asbaha da'a bi jifanin he asked for big containers and he put all the wealth into those containers, pots. And he's giving them totes. He's giving totes and totes of wealth away to people. This whole interaction with Ali radiallahu was all fascinating because they had so much mahabba, but there was also a conflict which had little to do with their personal issues and more to do with a matter of principle that each person saw something, a political issue from a different angle. You guys understand this? So that Ravi says here that he gave that he gave a... And by the way, the Rawi here is his own son, Musa. He narrates it from his father. Then his wife came at the end of the day after all the distribution was done. 
She, and he says to her, she says to him, mali min nasib? What did you say for us? So he says to her, Aina kunti yom? I was distributing it, why don't you come if you wanted some? <laughs> if you wanted some for us, you should have came earlier. So she says, is there any left? So then he says to her, there is one container there. فَكَانَتْ صُرَّةً فِيهَا نَحْوُ أَلْفِ درهم. Other than 700,000, 1,000 dirham he kept behind, and the rest of it was given away. As I mentioned earlier, and I won't go into too much detail here, there was a conflict between Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha radiallahu anha and Ali radiallahu anha. Um, and Talha radiallahu anha and Zubayr radiallahu anha stood by the side of Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha radiallahu anha in the battle of Jamal. And it was in that battle that um, Talha radiallahu anha was martyred. He was killed by Marwan ibn Hakam, as narrated by Yahya ibn Bukair, Khalifa ibn Khayyat and Abu Bakr. Ah, sorry, Abu Nasr al-Kalabidi. That inna ladhi qatala talha Marwan ibn Hakam. That Marwan ibn Hakam was the one who killed him. Ali radiallahu anhu, after the battle was over, anna aliyan intaha ila talha wa qadmat. He passed by the body of Talha radiallahu anhu after Talha radiallahu anhu was martyred. فَنَزَلَ عَنْ دَابَتِهِ He got off his animal. وَأَجْلَسَهُ And he sat up the body of Talha رضي الله عنه. وَمَسَحَ الْغُبَارَ عَنْ وَجْهِهِ وَلِحْيَتِهِ And he wiped away the dirt from Talha رضي الله عنه's face and his beard with his own hands. وَهُوَ يَتَرَحَّمْ عَلَيْهِ And he kept saying, May Allah's mercy be upon you. May Allah's mercy be upon you. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy. يَا لَيْتَنِي مُتُّ قَبْلَ هَذَا الْيَوْمَ بِعِشْرِينَ سَنَةً I should have died 20 years before seeing your body. He was very sad and very heartbroken by the death of Talha radiallahu anhu. Ali radiallahu anhu said that the one that killed Talha will be in the fire of hell. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate the maqam of Sayyidina Talha bin Ubaidillah radiallahu anhu. So many lessons to learn from his life. Not one, just so many. So many points for us to reflect on. I think the one thing that really stood out to me while studying the life of Talha radiallahu anhu is that statement that Nabi Sallallahu referred to him as al-Shaheed al-Hayy. That there are people who are alive in this world but they've done such great things with their life that they've actually already earned their abode in the hereafter. They're not rolling the dice with Akhirah. They're not playing their luck. I think we covered some stories of people that, out of all places, were for Denver, who also taught us that lesson, that you don't roll the dice with life. You work hard. You put everything into it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then take care of you and open the doors of Jannah for you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us with this inspiration and grant us tawfiq. وصلى الله تعالى على سيدنا محمد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته